0: So, what do you think of when you you see this view? Oh,
1: it just reminds me of the greatness of our natural world. It's hard to believe that this sits on the edge of our biggest city up here in the Waitakere Ranges. But it also makes me a little bit sad that our Cody is sick. And that if we start to lose the Waitakere ranges and the Hinua, we're going to they're the lungs of Tamaki Makoto and we definitely need them to keep our ear, to help keep our ear and our soil and our water clean. And they're very much under threat.
0: Donna Kerridge lives in Oa Kura at the mouth of the Whangaruru River, but she travels the countryside as part of her work as a rungoa Māori practitioner. She's an advisor, a guest lecturer from time to time, all the while running a small practice. Donna argues that rungoa Māori is not just about plant medicine and bodywork. In fact, she says these are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of its practice. For her, it's about understanding the link between whenua and people and the health of Papa Tuanuku, Earth Mother, is paramount. Every action that we take, there is a reaction in the
1: world. And so if we're going to muddy up our waterways, if we're going to um, pollute our air, then there's a consequence. Everything that we do say or think matters.
0: Our corridor features in this week's episode of Te Ahi E He a kurarangi tira te kope papa e haria kine. Ko Justin Murray, aho. We meet up at Arataki Visitor Centre in the Waitakere Ranges. Kilda.
1: You talk
0: about how you would often, if you coughed as a child, you were made to drink a shot, if you like, of kumaraho but you would somewhat avoid that because it still had, I don't know, the little... But sort of the murkiness of it all, no. Yeah. Um, you didn't know it was rungoa, but you knew it was plants, some yeah. sort of plant.
1: I knew that if you coughed, you had to drink this, and it was the most unappetizing looking <laughs> remedy. It was brown to black with slimy things in it. I don't think my whanau knew how to strain our, our rungoa.
0: Right, there was no colander. <laughs> no. And maybe that's
1: that's just the way that that our whānau do it. I have learnt to strain it, though.
0: You spent some time as a Fango with one of your aunties, I understand, but when when did you first become aware of rungua, Uh Rungwa Māori?
1: I think Rungwa for me was around me all the time from when I was young. We always had remedies or kūmarahau or something like that around us. The word rungwa was absent. Yes. I didn't really hear that very often. I think it became more apparent around when I had children. Once I had children, I started looking for better ways for caring for them rather than giving them medications. I tried to avoid them at all cost. It's not that I don't like uh, Western medicine, it's just I'd rather use it when it's needed and take a more uh, proactive approach with our traditional remedies if I can so that we can avoid them if we can. When did practising it come to the surface? Once I decided I didn't want to practice my professional career anymore, that money wasn't enough and I wanted to do something more meaningful. I went and looked at traditional remedies around the world and learnt from different cultures. So it wasn't long after that I began to take what I had learnt um, in my studies, but returned fully to practising more Māori where disease is not our focus. One of the things that I think happens is when we tell people that they have a condition, it becomes almost a makutu, and we start to live as if we are that condition. So I I much prefer people leave their disease at the door and come and talk to me as if those words didn't exist. You know, women will come to me and say, oh, fire! I've just been di- diagnosed with breast cancer, can you help me? And so I'll say to them, you know, if there were no such word as breast cancer... What is it that pains you? And people will explain different things. You know, sometimes people are afraid of dying. So we can have that conversation and soothe that path if necessary. I like our way of healing. I like that we attend to the mana and modi first. We care for that. We elevate that. And then we start to talk about different things we can
0: do to help people feel better. So, so when you say Manna and Modi, what does that kind of look like in terms of what you do?
1: So for me, you know, when people walk in with their head down, I know that their immune system's down. And if their immune system's down, then they're not in a good place to heal. And so we need to look at how do we lift that head? How do we lift that head up? What is it we need to do? Do we need to ensure that they're more included in their community and find clever ways to do that? Do we need to make sure that they understand the gifts that they were blessed with in order to contribute to their whānau and to their communities? Do we
0: need to remind them of those things? So rōngua Māori is much, much deeper than what we perceive to be about our native plants. That's one honunga or one part of it, eh? The way Māori see the world is being redefined,
1: redefined in a, in a modern world. I think it's really important that we don't allow that to happen. It's OK to evolve, but I think it's being done to us rather than by us. And people's understandings of what karakia might be, what rungwa might be, what mana and what Modi might be are being translated into languages outside of the world in which they were intended for.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Dr. Mayhanna's whare tapawha, you know, wairua, Heningaro, Fano, tēnana, and all of those things that are interconnected and if they're all kind of doing well as a, as a person, you're, you're doing well.
1: I, I think no disrespect to um, our matua, and I'm sure that he's more than thought about it because I've heard him talk about it, but one of the key things that, that we often have forgotten to acknowledge is that we are part of the whenua as well. So it's not just about the human species, it's not just about Māori, it's about the fact that we are part of a wider Farno, and that through Whakapapa we are all connected, the manu, the ngāngara, everything and that we have a role to play there and unless we tend to the well-being of the and that, and by that I mean our natural world then we're never going to be well and so for as long as we contribute to the decimation of papatuanuku, then we're not going to be part of that healing process. And so nature has, or the detail is the perfect blueprint. When we know how to heal a wetland, we know what's required for good oh, kidney health. It's beautiful up here. Oh, it is. I love coming here, even though it's miles oh, away from Oh, how do we get you to here? that one? To over That here? one, yeah. So down there
0: over there. the years nurtured by her and her mentors like Pāropata in 2004 Donna established Ora New Zealand a privately owned company set up to share knowledge about indigenous healing practices. She is part of the collective Te and has presented at Wānanga and tertiary institutions She has also been a part of various advisory groups
1: One of my roles is a as the Maungai for Te Takahui Rungwa, the National Collective of Rungwa Maori practitioners. And in that role we we help educate people as to the to the wider perspective of Rungwa and not just see it as body work and plant medicines. Yes. Because it's you know they are the smallest part. If you've got a If you've got a haki-haki on your skin, we can fix that really easy. But helping us learn our place in society within the whānau, within our whakapapa, helping us um, understand the urgency and the need with which we need to protect our whānau, such as Papa Atunuku and Tāne Mahuta and Tangaroa, is a bigger part of it. So we're vigilant around... Um, legislation, we have a number of um, acts within New Zealand that actually make rungoa Māori illegal. The current or the present Medicines Act um, prevents me from putting on my website any words to the effect of the SNOA as traditionally used by our tūpunā. That's actually illegal for me to put
0: that on any advertising, any labels or things like that. Under the Medicines Act nineteen eighty-one point sixty one for misleading branding, it states that no person shall sell any medicine or medical device that bear or has attached to it, enclosed in a package or container. Any false or misleading statement, word, brand, picture, label or mark purporting to indicate the nature, suitability, quantity, quality, strength, purity of the medicine or medical device.
1: What's behind it is that we are not allowed to, we're not allowed to diagnose, we're not allowed to claim benefit from our runga. I'm sure the legal people would phrase that much better, but at the end of the day, we cannot make claims about our traditional medicines. And that's not over Western medicine, that's at all. Yeah, and and if I just didn't say anything about what a punny was for is considered legal and safer than me saying this punny is for eczema because that's a diagnosable condition. So best I either say this punny is great for dry, flaky skin or not put what it's good for at all on the label, which to me appears more dangerous than safe.
0: Well, we're surrounded by beautiful Waitakere Ranges. Shall we just go for a look outside and just, yeah, kia ora, tēnā There's currently a rahui, Donna? Yes, yeah, so
1: there's a rahui here in the Waitakere Ranges, placed on it by the mana whenua, Kawaroa Maki. It's my understanding that Kawaroa Maki put the... Rahui on here out of desperation. Yeah. We had spent so much time and money trying to address the issues of um, Phytophthora and the impact that's having on our kodi. Kawarawa Maki did the only thing they knew mm. how to, and that was to try and rest the whenua, to
0: let Papa Tūnuku, um heal the rahui, or restricted access, was placed upon the Waitakere Ranges to ease the spread of kodi dieback and to allow the finua to rest and recuperate. So by taking away the huge human contribution to the
1: spread of phytophthora, so they placed that rahui a couple of years ago now and I'm really proud that the people of Tamaki for the most part have honoured that. And in the meantime... Um, some people have looked back to our pūrāko to try and find a, a roa for for the kauri. Oh, okay.
0: So they continue
1: to work on that with the support of Kaoroa Maki here in the
0: Waitakere Ranges as well. And is that kind of like a rangahau project about searching for, we're talking about Cody Dyback, is that still in the making? So
1: rangahau, but more from a Māori perspective than from an academic perspective,
0: right. yep. so I'm
1: sure that there probably is some rangahau going on in our universities around this and perhaps following our, our hapū that are working on it mm-hmm. So, but it's definitely driven by Māori and by the hapū of the north
0: Kia ora, tēnā So so as we look out, you know, here at the Waitakere ranges, does this particular area have um, lots of Rungwa Maori growing here? Oh it's it's lush with Rungwa and remember that
1: Rungwa is not just for us. Rungwa is for the birds. Yeah. The the water. So it's a great water catchment area, um, with not too much um, paru really. Um, coming in from the the habitants, it's a beautiful spot and one well worth protecting. And I think it's important to acknowledge that this land was given to the people of Tamaki Makoto by one of the settlers, the Sizemba No, and um, was given back to the people of Auckland or Tamaki for the benefit of all of them. And his foresight has helped protect this but this land is not virgin nahiri it has been cut over cody mm. have been milled from here so what you see is the last is the restoration over 75 years or more previously this was all farmland
0: Rob McGowan, known by many as Paaropata, is also a busy man. He's often called upon for his knowledge in conservation, indigenous plants, flora, fauna, and restoring the quality back to rivers and streams. He remains one of Donna's mentors.
1: All the dried leaves and things like this? Yes. Now, to some extent, that's a result of the drought, that a lot of trees, when it gets too dry, they start shedding their leaves. Right. But that mulch on the ground is probably the most important part of the forest, oh. because that keeps the moisture in. But it's full of
0: all sorts of fungi and all sorts of other microorganisms, and it's them that feed the trees. A couple of weeks, about a month ago, I um, went through the went for a bush walk with Paropata, and um, and he wrote, yeah, he wrote that little little book about the tiwai waka, and you've touched on the tiwai waka.
1: The biggest concern for me is that as a species and as a culture, we need to recognise that we are also part of nature. Lots of us are city-born and bred, and we really can be quite uncomfortable in nature. That's not a really good thing when you're part of it you don't feel at home, you don't feel mm. that you belong, we don't like mud on our toes, we don't like rain on our face. We refer to the children of Tāne as creepy crawlies. We couldn't get more disconnected if we tried. So, Rungwa for me, as is the the Waka movement, is about putting Papa papatūnuku first. In Rungwa our first patient is always the whenua. When we work we must work in a way that does not harm her. She is our first patient. She is our mother. And that lines up with the T. Y. Walker principles that even the smallest things, the smallest things in our soils can be the most important to our health and well-being. And we need to care for those. We need to be mindful. We need to be vigilant. It's not about sustainability anymore. We've passed that luxury. It is about restoration. And just because we follow tikanga doesn't mean we have a right to take. You know, our ngahire and our oceans are are struggling to be well. The air is not clean anymore. The water is not clean anymore. And everything else is working really hard and on overload to restore the balance. We need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And if we can reconnect people to papatunuku, to te and and understand all the things that keep them well, then hopefully we won't need people like me or Pa that we will be able to see in nature what it is we need to do rather than go and ask somebody else to tell us what we need to do.
0: Mm, Because sustainability, you're right, that seems to be the buzzword. Yeah, it's about restoration. We've got to
1: put back. It's not about I can take one and I must put one back. It's
0: I must not take unless absolutely essential and I must put 10 back. With many roles both in advocacy and education, Donna also runs a small clinic. It's here that she makes her rungoa Māori. She's also a practitioner of mirimiri or healing massage. But she understands that whānau structures have changed. As more Māori live away from their tūranga waiwai or their ancestral home, consideration is needed for those who are no longer able to do things like collect or harvest their own rungoa. You know, I make
1: um rako and I do it in modern forms as well as traditional forms mm. the reason that I do that is because so many of our kaumātua queer no longer have people at home who can can go and get their rongoa for them they don't and the younger people don't always know the the right plants or how to prepare the rongoa and so it's no good coming home and saying, well, I hope you've got a cough because I'm here. <laughs> right. It's much better to be able to make them something for their cough for next time they get it. So that's why sometimes I use modern preparations mm. is so that our kaumatua can access the rongoa when they need it, whether they have their, their muckles at home or not. So romi-romi and midi, it's not my expertise, but I guess that's really where I cut my teeth. When I was growing up, my uncle had bad legs. Um, He was a bushman. He was a great bushman in Tokoroa. And he would come home at night and I would watch, because I was the youngest in my day there, and um, I would watch the lounge empty out of the other nine kids. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be the one left sitting there helping take his boots off and... And rubbing his legs to help ease the swelling and the pain. Oh, from a hard day's work. From a hard day's work. And he was a big man. So, you know, he worked hard and his body had to work hard to carry him. And, you know, I never, ever minded. So I think these gifts are in us from birth. We don't always recognise it until much later. But, you know, I'd give anything now to be able to do that.
0: Practising Rungwa Māori as it somewhat flourishes with more and more people doing it, is there a sense of, of, of risk of overuse over, over or whatever the kupu may be? Um, I think there is if people
1: don't acknowledge that the gifts of Papa Tuanaku are not an asset. They are not a commodity, a commercial commodity, unlike the Western world. Maori's perspective is we belong to the world, the world doesn't belong to us, mm. and so this whole concept of ownership of plant species mm. is foreign to our own tikanga. And I think another big thing that's you know in, that's framing some of our actions is things like nobody owns the air, nobody owns the water, so we all perceive that to be free but it's not free because for every action that we take there is a reaction in the world and so if we're going to muddy up our waterways if we're going to um, pollute our air then there's a consequence everything that we do say or think matters you don't get to do something without there being a reaction and a consequence somewhere else. Mm. So I think we need to think about just how we're depreciating the very thing that sustains us,
0: the natural world. Donna also trained in end-of-life care for hospice patients. Here she talks more about that experience. That was a real privilege, too,
1: and I do recall that when I was being examined like a test like yeah, a it was like a graduation for oh some yeah, money yeah, yeah. that I was um learning um in terms of end of life care and I remember this they bought a a old nun, she was in her nineties and and I was being assessed on how well. I was caring for her. With
0: her in the room? Yeah, they brought
1: her into the room. She needed to be aided by two nurses to bring her in. She wasn't very mobile. And I said, how can I help you? And she said to me, oh, my knees are so sore, dear. If you could just do something for me, that would be great. And I looked at her knees and I looked at her skin and it was too thin for me to mirimiri. And there was a real risk that I could have split her skin and then created ulcers that at her age and fragility, she may not have recovered from. Oh. So I was really mindful, and I was really mindful that the examiners were watching me. But I just knew that I couldn't hurt her, and I could see the hope in her eyes. So the only thing I could do was to put my hands on her knees. So after the allotted time, the nurses came back and got her and took her away, and I thought, oh, well, I've failed, but at least I didn't hurt her. And then while we were debriefing, this little lady, this little nun, came back and poked her head in the swinging doors and said, look, I'd just like to say thank you to whoever worked on me. My knees feel wonderful. And she left, and everybody in the class looked around me, looked around the room and said, who did it? And I (laughs) meekly put my hand up, what did you do? And I just mouthed back at them, I have no idea. And then I think that was probably my first real knowing that Wairua was at work. We are the living face of our tupuna. But I do remember Pa saying to me, when I was talking to him about this stuff and and how it seems to work, and he said, you know Donna, our tohunga could do that on command, which absolutely blows me away but really reminds me that what we know today is a sliver of what is possible. And so, you know, people say, oh, you know so much, you're so clever. I think you get to a point where you turn around, you look around, you go, actually, I know nothing.
0: E te mātanga Māori, ko te tērā hei kawe i ngā mahirungoa o a tātou mātua tīpuna. Nei rā te mihi, koe. Donna no Mahuta, no Ngāti Tahinga. Donna is a rongoa Māori practitioner, a herbalist, member of the rongoa Māori Practitioners Collective, Te Kahue Rongoa, and founder of the business Ora New Zealand. That interview was recorded at the Arataki Visitor Centre, Waitakere Ranges Regional Park. For photos of our interview in the stunning vista, head to rnz.co.nz slash or you can download the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you access your podcasts. Next week. And so when we
1: got to Clandon Park, Alan he took us to the edge of the field and he said, there's your house over there. And we, Same thing happened to us. We just
0: couldn't stop the tears. Hene Mihi Tafito, the ancestral house, was commissioned by Aapuro Te Whare Kanifa. It opened in 1881 and in 1886, on the morning of June the 10th, during the Mount Tarawera eruption, the Whare gave shelter and saved the lives of over 100 people of Te Wairua. In 1892, it was shipped to England's Clandon Park and has been there ever since. We'll share that story in a three part series here on Tiahikar. Special thanks to Alex Harmai our resident engineer. Keppai takoto ra fakata haikona mai.